Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today, we will unlock the book, Chronicles, Volume 1. In 2016, Bob Dylan was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature, and has surprised the world with it. However, the decision made by the members of the Nobel Committee was far from unreasonable. Dylan's imaginative lyrics are often filled with poetic images, that accurately reflect the rich experiences of his personal life. On a cold morning in 1961, armed with a copy of the folk legend Woody Guthrie's autobiography, Bound for Glory, Bob Dylan headed to New York to pursue his musical dream. In the city, he engaged himself into singing, reading, and contemplating activities, under the guidance of different mentors. In the new city, Dylan dedicated his time to feed himself with whatever was new, whatever he could lay hands on. Within a few months, he had a contract with a record label, and began his journey to stardom. In one of his most famous singles, Dylan sings How Many Roads Must a Man Walk Down, Before You Call Him a Man. How Many Seas Must a White Dove Sail, Before She Sleeps in the Sand? And How Many Times Must the Cannonballs Fly, Before They're Forever Banned? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind, the answer is blowing in the wind. These cathartic lines became an unexpected anthem, and have touched many young people at that time. During the same period, Dylan wrote many songs on civil rights and anti-war movements, and his lyrics represented, somehow, a new way to clarify the doubts and concerns people would have about war, violence, and other related topics. His music, often regarding social issues, quickly turned him into an icon, and a spokesperson of his era. However, Dylan suddenly cast off the shadows of fame and glory, and retreated into silence. He refused to blindly follow the popular trends, feed the public frenzy, or cater the mainstream media. Instead, he chose to listen to his aspiration, and pursue his own creations with freedom. It was difficult for Dylan to sail against the tides, especially after being the spotlight for so long, but his hard work and perseverance kept him growing and evolving, even with many obstacles along his way. To the media, he is the mouthpiece of a generation, to his fans, he is a legend. But in his own mind, Bob Dylan is just a folk singer, a father, and himself. In this memoir, he downplays his many privileges and, instead of focusing on the controversial periods of his career, he dissects his feelings and experiences for his audience. He has tackled all the obstacles head-on, faced the harsh reality, and overcame many labels and adversities, to achieve his dreams while staying true to who he was. In this bookie, we will introduce the book in three parts. Part 1, The Road to Stardom. Part 2, Breaking Free from the Shackles of Fame. Part 3, Overcoming the Career Bottleneck. In the spring of 1959, a young American named Robert Allen Zimmerman, left his hometown to go to Minneapolis, to study at the University of Minnesota. After getting settled, he grabbed his guitar, and entered a local cafe carrying it along his side. Under the stage name of Bob Dylan, 
he began to perform folk songs. He met another singer, John Kerner, someone that played the same way and had the same passion as he did for the folk culture. The two of them shared not only the stage together, but also an interesting discussion about music. Kerner was the one that introduced him to many new songs and records. With the end of summer, Dylan officially became a college student. Soon after, he met a Drama Academy actress, called Flo Kastner, who recommended Woody Guthrie to him, and claimed that he would for sure like his style of music. Flo Kastner was right, songs like Ludlow Massacre, Hard Travelin', and This Land Is Your Land, won Dylan over almost instantly. All afternoon, he would take a bath guided by the rhymes and tempos of Guthrie's poetic verses, which appealed to him and his soul as an artist. Naturally, Dylan wanted to know more about Guthrie. In Guthrie's songs, he conveyed rich narratives with appealing melodies, and a deep longing for a brighter present, and future hidden behind an apparent nostalgia for the past. Through Guthrie's autobiography, Bound for Glory, Dylan saw the poet's impassioned soul. He became his fan and admirer, and would sing his songs everywhere he went. As a budding folk musician, Dylan was directly inspired and guided by Guthrie's tunes. He then changed directions and headed to New York to visit his idol, who was seriously ill with Huntington's disease in Greystone Park Psychiatric Hospital, leaving his life in Minneapolis behind. Closing the car door behind him, Dylan set foot on the snow-covered pavements of the Big Apple for the first time in his life, the city that would later lead him to be one of the biggest name in American musical history. Guthrie was still his main inspiration at that time, together with some other big names on his beloved records. The harsh East Coast climate, and the hardships that came with being all alone in a new city, did not deter the young Dylan. Walking through New York's cold winds, he made his way to Café Noir, The first stop on the path to his dreams. Café Noir was a basement nightclub located in Greenwich Village in Lower Manhattan. When Freddie Neal, the MC of the daytime show, met Dylan and right away decided to give the gangly 19-year-old an opportunity to perform a harmonica accompaniment. As such, young Dylan could at least stay away from the cold. However, in an artistic and musical haven, like Greenwich Village in the 1960s, Café Noir was just one of the many clubs offering young performers a chance to showcase their talent. To Dylan, the Gaslight Café was more attractive, not only because it was way more famous, but also because one of his favorite folk singers, Dave Van Ronk, performed there. Van Ronk's low growls and soft croons embodied the passion and energy of New York City, and Dylan longed to experience all of that. At the time, Dylan could only bide his time and search for a suitable opportunity. He played guitar at many different clubs, performing the purest, truest folk tunes while he slowly discovered this new world. Soon, he left Café Noir and began hanging out at the Folklore Center, a store that sold books, records, and anything related to folk music. Izzy Young, the owner of the establishment, always recommended many folk records for Dylan to listen to. He came across big names of folk music like, Country Gentleman's Girl Behind the Bar, Charlie Poole's White House Blues, 
and Big Bill Brunsey's Somebody's Got to Go. In this personal treasure trove, he has deepened his understanding of the genre, and finally got his long-awaited opportunity. One day, Dylan finally got to meet Van Ronk, and asked him for a job at the Gaslight Café. However, the snippy, surly Van Ronk asked if Dylan was a janitor. To prove his point, Dylan offered to play a song for Van Ronk. His rendition of, Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out, won Van Ronk over, and the veteran singer invited him to play at the Gaslight. The club gave Dylan the opportunity to perform in a real stage. He made many friends there and partnered up with mentors, but Van Ronk was always one of the most important people in his path. Van Ronk mixed folk, jazz, and blues, combining exquisite, heroic, and historical tunes into a brand new style. His rusty vocals span a wide range of emotions, from the most delicate and tender ones to the roughest and explosive. Dylan was deeply influenced by Van Ronk's talent, and he was always very confident about what his mentor could do. Besides offering musical guidance, Van Ronk and his friend Paul Clayton also gave Dylan a place to stay in New York. They took him to many pubs in the city and introduced him to many people, including Ray Gooch, the owner of the Bull's Head Tavern. Gooch was an avid collector of books about art, philosophy, and politics. His private library had no windows, resembling a quiet cave where Dylan would peruse his literary collection. He read the Prussian military theorist Karl von Clausewitz, whose old-fashioned words helped him to clarify many ideas. He also read Robert Graves's The White Goddess, a lengthy essay on the nature of poetic myth-making. He enjoyed Honoré de Balzac's Luck and Leather, read John Milton's protest poem, Massacre in Piedmont, out loud, and pored over the epic poems, Don Juan, by Lord George Gordon Byron, and Kubla Khan by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. From these, Dylan gathered all kinds of insights on literature and life, which would later be reflected in his lyrics. During the chilly winter days, rashing from one friend's couch to another, Dylan described himself with the sentence, I'm a rambler, I'm a gambler. I'm a long way from home. But even when life felt unstable, the ripples of change were gradually beginning to stir. A performance by the folk singer, Mike Seeger, made a profound impression on him. Seeger's command of the banjo, fiddle, mandolin, and auto-harp, was simply perfect. At the time, Dylan thought Seeger was a genius, he was someone that could effortlessly do everything Dylan himself had been working so hard to achieve. He then realized that if he wanted to succeed, he would have to explore his own path and write his own folk tunes, tunes that Seeger have never produced. Some singers in Greenwich Village wrote their own songs, drawing inspiration from recent events and headlines in the news. Dylan also sang a lot of topical songs, aiming to express his points of views, beliefs and values. He sang about the American Civil War and slavery with Van Ronk and Gooch. Their opinions inspired Dylan, and revealed the subtle motives behind many of the songs and the different social realities, that inspired many of them. Sometimes, Dylan and his friends would hang out at the White Horse Tavern, an Irish pub in Manhattan, to play rousing rebel songs. 
It was in this environment that the songs he wanted to write, slowly began to take shape. Dylan read the archived newspapers on microfilm from 1855 to 1865 at the New York Public Library, so he could learn more about life in the United States during that period. Articles from the Chicago Tribune, the Brooklyn Daily Times, and the Pennsylvania Freeman, describe issues regarding slavery, reform movements, child labor, religious revival, and other problems faced by the American society back then. When the nation was torn apart by the North-South divide and opposing beliefs, it felt that even a small change could trigger a full-blown conflict. Dylan thought that the turbulent days had become a fundamental part of America's political system. They reflected the complexity of human nature, and inspired many of his upcoming songs. Shortly afterwards, Dylan met John Hammond, a talent scout from Columbia Records who admired Dylan's vision and passion for music. He soon signed a deal for his self-titled record, Bob Dylan, which later became his gateway to fame and success. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.